0: Thank you, Bernie. That was fantastic. All of God's people said, "Amen, Amen. how are you today? Buddy eat plenty of turkey? Ham, beef tenderloin. lasagna. <laughs> and it's I uh, always enjoy the, the service after Thanksgiving. It's a little smaller crowd. A lot of folks are traveling. they're with family. But it's just a, it just kind of has its own mood and spirit. It's just a real gratitude that's in the air. Can you imagine the gazillion tons of food that got cooked Wednesday night and Thursday all over this nation and that many almost that got thrown out and how blessed we are, how grateful we need to be? because of all of the the many, many benefits and the blessings that God has poured out upon us. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ, who gave himself for me when I was worthless. While I was still a sinner, he died for me. I'm thankful that the two most important decisions that I have made have... Changed my life, and that was the first one, to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And the second one was the wife that I chose of 25 and a half years now. She said, that's a long time. I'm I'm grateful. I'm truly grateful. I'm not trying to be funny. I am truly grateful that she has put up with me, and we've grown together, and that she still loves me. I really believe more than the day we started. I really do believe that. God's given me two beautiful children, and he's given me a spiritual family that I can't even begin to tell you how thankful I am for you. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is moving and... Come on. The Holy Spirit is moving and working in this church that absolutely overwhelms me. It's beyond my dreams. It seemed like we were just pulling and plowing and hauling, trying to clear the field, for so many years and just faithfully planting a few seeds and get a little bit extra. We clean out another little spot, extend the field and plant a few more seeds the next year and see a little harvest. For so long, it just seemed like nothing was happening. And then the last 6, 12, 18 months, it's just been overwhelming to see the presence of God moving and raining on the seeds that we planted all these years. Amen. The Spirit of God being poured out God's doing great things in several churches. It's not just in Victory. I'm excited that we're really beginning to see some changes in the Delta, and that He's let us be a part of that. I um, we we took eight weeks on purpose in Tim Keller's book called The Prodigal God, and because um, it's so critical that we really open our hearts to see this gospel is so much bigger than we could ever begin to understand or ask or imagine. I'm, I'm overwhelmed um, for this team that the Lord's putting together here, for Alex and Simona and for Jeremy and for Haley and for Greg. And we, we, had a, we had two new additions this morning on the platform. Just so grateful to have Chris and Amy Gossman up here. What a blessing they are. They're they're doing an awesome job putting together the worship ministry for our children's ministry, our children's church, all these different children's areas, and I'm excited about that. This morning, I have a scripture. Uh, you may think, man, he's awfully laid back today. I hope he's got a little bit of fire. Now you know I've got a little bit of fire sitting in here. It's kind of kind of twitching in my toe right now. It'll move up in a minute. Our our main text this morning in this new series, we're doing a series called Gift. Everybody say gift. And why I'm so excited about worshiping the Lord through the Advent season with you. Advent is a time where we deliberately move away from the extreme commercialism and consumerism that we have been so blessed with. Those are the extremes of the blessings of God in our nation. And our extreme materialism and all that stuff. And the, the Black Friday fights over Lego my Legos. I'm sure you've seen that. Um, and all the stuff that's going on you know, at 3 a.m. at Target and Walmart and everywhere else. And all that stuff to really refocus on the fact that there really was a king who came and he laid in a manger. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. 2,000 years ago. And not that we're just celebrating the the King who came, but we're looking for in anticipation the King who is coming again. And Advent is all about remembering the King who came and preparing our hearts for the King who is coming. Not only coming in physicality, coming the same Jesus which you saw, will will come again in like manner, Acts chapter 1 says. We believe that, we embrace that as a New Testament Orthodox Christian belief. Jesus Christ is coming again. I believe also that he's coming in a people that is Christ in and among you all, the hope of glory. He's coming to be, 1 Thessalonians says, to be glorified in and among his saints. And so there is an appearing of the Lord. There's a coming, there's a parousia. There's an appearing of the Lord even here this morning as we create an atmosphere and invite him to come and to join us in the praises of his people. Psalm 22, verse 3. So this morning as we look at this series. And I kick it off. I'm excited today. We're going to be hearing from our staff pastors. You'll be hearing from Alex, our executive pastor here at Victory. You'll be hearing from Jeremy, our youth pastor here at Victory. And I'm really, really excited that we're going to share this series together on hope, love, joy, peace. And then we'll culminate this whole thing on Christmas Eve at our 5 p.m. candlelight service, Christmas Eve, December 24th, here at Victory at 5. We'll light the center candle of... Of light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Can I have an amen? amen. Our, our, our central verse is very simple. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. I chose just a little segment of it. Uh, if, if I gave you the whole thing in the ESV, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Paul was writing to Timothy. He's the sent one from God, the apostello. He is sent with a message. He's sent as the messenger of God, at, by command of God, God our Savior, and of Jesus Christ, our hope. Everybody say, Christ Jesus, our hope. Jesus. Say it with me. Here we go. Christ Jesus, our hope. We're talking about hope. Hope. Hope that comes alive in our hearts because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I have an extended passage from Psalm 65, and I'm going to ask you if you would one more time, even though you've gotten comfortable and we enjoyed so much the the prayer and the words by Perry and the great song by um, Bernie, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, would you stand with me please one more time for the reading of the word of the Lord. It has a superscription there. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song, praise. Let's go from there. Let's start at praise. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. O oh God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Stop right there. He's the hope of what? Say that again. Here we go. The hope of all the ends of the earth. And of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength. Established the mountains. Being girded with might. Who stills the roaring of the seas. The roaring of the waves. The tumult of the peoples. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth. Are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning. And the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth. And water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout, And sing together for joy. Oh, great God, we thank you for your abundance that you have poured out upon us in this year. Thank you for our jobs. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our homes, for shelter. Lord, for warmth in the time of cold, for cool in the time of heat. Lord, for breath in our lungs, for for vision in our eyes. And Lord, for understanding in our hearts, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. With attitudes of gratitude, we lift up this praise to you today. And we thank you for the blessing that you have called us and chosen us that we might approach you and dwell in your house. Even as your word just said, blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to approach unto thee that he may dwell in your courts. God, we thank you for your choosing. We are overwhelmed at your mercy that you would look upon us and choose us And call us your people. Thank you for this time together. Let the hope of God be birthed alive, afresh. Lord, be electrified in our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said, amen. 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 One of the things, you may be seated, one of the things that I love about Advent is that these are gifts that are not like material blessings. This is my favorite protein bar. I brought it from the office. I'm going to give it to you. you I expect that back after service. <laughs> if I give that to him, it's his. I don't have it anymore. I, I can write you a check. Those dollars disappear from my account. I give you any kind of gift that is limited in the material sense, and you have it and I don't. But the amazing thing about the gifts of Advent, hope, love, love, I'm going to do a little two-step for you here. (laughs) The amazing thing about the gifts of Advent, hope, love, joy, peace, and then the last one, light, is that I can give every one of those gifts and still have everything, every bit as much as I had, but now I have increased them in your life. If by the blessing of encouragement or a word of exhortation to stir you up and to encourage you and to strengthen you in your walk in God, if I cause hope to come alive in your heart, if I share a word of peace in the midst of your stress and your strife and your storm, if I bring to you a bit of the joy of the Lord because of the awareness of God's blessing and his bounty on you this year, if I can cause hope to spring alive and to be eternal as the scripture declares that it is, then I have given you something, but yet I haven't lost any of it myself. It's these amazing gifts, gifts that cannot be bought. These are the unique gifts of Advent. The Greek word for hope is the word elpis, and it, it literally means anticipation or expectation. It, it, it's the idea of uh, uh, of a pregnant uh, expectation. It's that there is a hope and there is the certainty, as Pam shared this morning as she read from her notes. Hope in scripture is not just a wish that you really don't have anything to hang on to. You, you really wish that something would happen. But biblical hope is grounded in the certainty of the integrity of God's word. Everybody say biblical hope is grounded in God's integrity. Now, a couple things I want to give you through this morning this is very, very brief, very quick. I want to talk about just for a few minutes, the hope of man. And then I want to talk about the hope of God. Because in so many circles in the gospel presentation in America, things have become extremely man-centered. And it seems to be so much about me, mine, mine, or what God can do for me. And let me just say to you that the Bible is filled with things about what God wants to do for you. But if that's all we ever preach, then it becomes extremely self-focused. And we begin to raise believers That are not selfless for the cause of Christ, willing to radically lay down their lives, but we begin to raise believers that become very selfish and that are expecting God basically to keep the nest feathered, to keep the bank account filled, to keep the refrigerator full, to keep the rent paid. And it all comes down to, uh, God, are you blessing me? And and let me tell you something. God has already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. They're all already yours. You never have to pray with any kind of degree of intensity trying to wrestle a blessing out of the hand of God because he's already given to you all of the blessings in Christ. If Christ is in you, you have everything that comes with him. Somebody say amen. amen. That's an understanding that you need to have because when you recognize that, it will change your life. It'll change your prayer life. You no longer have to be focused on with a beggar's cup rattling behind whatever your bondage du jour is. Whatever your circumstances are, whatever has presented itself on that day, you do not have to come with the attitude of begging, trying to cajole something out of a stingy God. Our God is a benevolent God, a God of blessing, a God of great abundance and mercy and grace and goodness and favor that he's poured out upon you. He not only created the place, but he equipped it and he has furnished it He's put together, Abby and I were talking this last week about this amazing thing called seed time and harvest. I said, can you imagine that every time you plant one seed and it comes up out of the ground as a sprout, and we were talking about corn specifically. Think about what God has put in this whole mechanism on the planet called sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest. You take one kernel of corn, plant it in the ground, and in just a few days you start to see a sprout that moves the clod And it begins to grow into a stalk and within a few weeks, those stalks will begin to produce ears and those ears, every one of those ears on which every stalk, there are anywhere from four to five or six ears of corn, every one of them has at least three or four hundred multiplications of the image of the first thing you started with. One seed. You've all heard the little, uh, whatever the little expression is, the little saying, Uh, A man can count the number of apples on a tree, but only God can count the number of apple trees inside an apple And so God has given us this amazing gift of of the, the earth in which we live He stepped back from it on the sixth day of creation and he didn't just say this is good He said behold this is very good and we've, we've lost a sense of this wonderful orthodox understanding that this place is the Lord's, that this is our Father's world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and all they that dwell therein and all of the wonderful cultures and languages and the, the amazing food and the beauty of the earth. God has made it all. He's made it all for his glory and he put the crowning creation of his glory into the garden and he called Them man, he made them male and female. God placed in the heart of that man, of that couple, Adam, Adam, and Eve, the mother of all living. He put hope into their hearts, even when they disobeyed in Genesis 3 and partook of the tree that they basically were told by God, You can have anything out here, but that one tree is mine and they disobeyed. It was an act of high treason. It was disobedience to the very God of heaven, and they chose to do what God said not to do. Nothing magical about the fruit. It wasn't a tempting red apple. It was, we don't really know what it was. Legend has handed us this idea and corrupted the idea of it being an apple. We don't know what it was. It just was, don't partake of the fruit of that tree. Sin was not ignited by something in the DNA of that piece of fruit sin was ignited by the disobedience in the heart of those people Sin was brought to bear disobedience began to reign, and because adam who is the federal head of the human race entered into sin sin entered into every one of us when we were born On the planet if you believe that say amen. amen Now in the middle of all of that God gives us hope Hope that it does not have to stay that way We look around And at Christmas, we we manage to press through many times some of the hindrances and the inconveniences and the unkindnesses of others. And we we deliberately stretch the smile a little bit wider and we dig a little deeper and we give sometimes to things that we otherwise haven't given to. Because this season of Advent reminds us that there is one who is coming to set everything that is wrong, he will set it right. Where there is strife and war, he's going to bring peace because he is the Prince of Peace. He's already come. He's already reigning at the right hand of the majesty on high in the heavens. But the scripture says of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. We are to be instruments or ambassadors of peace, to take peace into the midst of war. Somebody say amen. amen. That's the privilege that God has given us. First of all, as we look at three principles very quickly in the hope of man, you know this scripture, you ought to commit it to memory, underline it in your Bible. The Bible says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a what? And a hope. God has plans for you. He has a future for you. He wants to bless you and prosper you, not harm you. Now, let me just tell you something. Sometimes the dealings of God make you question whether or not he will harm you. He may hurt you, but he will never harm you. The dealings of the Lord sometimes, he he brings us through periods of subtraction before he adds back to us. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews says he taketh away so that he may establish. He takes away the first covenant so that he could establish the second. Anytime God takes something away from you, it's because he wants to give you something better than what you had in the first place. All right? So God has a future. He has a hope. He has plans of welfare, not for evil. The first principle, very simply, is a restored relationship. We know this. You guys at Victory know this principle. We've been laboring to, to, to develop an understanding of the gospel here in this church for weeks and weeks and weeks now. And if you're a guest this morning and you feel like you're far from God, I want to tell you the very first thing out of my mouth today is that God wants a relationship with you. He wants to restore what has been broken. He wants to heal and mend what's not right in your heart. It's, it's about getting to the place where you know that you have peace with God. And when you have peace with God, he says that he will then give to you the peace of God. It's about a restored relationship. The Bible says in John chapter one, listen, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Everybody say, God chose. chose. You need to understand this. God is always primary. His action is always first. His grace is prevenient. He makes the first move. No man can come unto the Father except he draws him, the Bible says. Blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to approach unto you, that he may dwell in your courts. We read that in Psalm 65, verse 4. I want you to recognize in the same way that you didn't have a choice that you would be born into the family, God made that choice for you. You didn't choose the season or the era or the century or the millennium or the time in which you were born. God chose that for you. He didn't, you didn't choose the, geog- the, the, the area or the geography or the, the place, the nation. You didn't choose your skin color, your ethnicity. God chose that for you. I believe that first the natural, then afterward that which is spiritual. God began by choosing you, and he regenerates you, and he cause, causes what was dead to come alive, and then you make a choice to follow him. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. It begins with this restored relationship and that restored relationship starts at this second point right here. Number two, it's called forgiveness of sin. God no longer holds your trespasses or the log or the account, the logos he does not hold the account against you of all of the record of wrongs that have been done. David cried out and said, oh God, thank you that you do not hold a record of the account of all the wrongs, the, 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 the transgressions. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive. Forgiveness of sins is a costly grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said so many times in American gospel presentations, it almost just sounds like kind of a universalistic pitch that, you know, God loves everybody and he accepts you and he loves you just like you are and he lets you stay that way. And I want to tell you, that's not the grace of the Bible. The grace of a Bible is a costly grace. Jesus Christ died. The wrath of God was poured out in propitiation. God's wrath was satisfied when Jesus caused him to be smitten and bruised literally by God himself. He paid the price. He paid the penalty. It was a costly grace that you can have forgiveness of sins this morning. It's not a cheap grace. It's not a grace that you just say, oh, God loves me and I can just do anything I want to. It's a grace that gets down on the inside of me and wrestles with me and recognizes that I am now a new creation. There's something different about me. It's the transforming power of the gospel. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The Bible says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. That's what it's about. It begins in forgiveness of sin. And then number three, this morning it moves moves beyond that because in some circles the gospel is quarantined from that point on. All of the other blessings that are in Scripture don't find their presentation in many. Uh, 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 of the mainline denominational presentations of the gospel. The gospel is comprehensive. It will touch every area of your life. It's not just to save you and give you a home in heaven. The gospel is all about touching you in every dimension of your life. Freedom from the curse. I said it last Sunday and it's worth bearing at least just a, 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 a quick allusion to it again. The third verse of... Joy to the world is one that many people are not familiar with. And it says, No more let sins nor sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known, far as the curse is found. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Everybody say, that's Jesus. Jesus hung on the tree for you and for me. He became the curse. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took my place. He took my sin. He gave me and willingly shared his righteousness. I am wrapped in it this morning. I am engarbed in it. I do not stand in his presence based on anything I have ever done or ever will do. I stand in his presence and I look like his son because I got on his son's clothes. I've got on the righteousness of Christ wrapped around me. Not anything that I have done. Some circles, they forget about that. They don't tell you that Jesus Christ has come to touch every aspect of your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, financially, all of those things. These are a part of the hope of man because God has a plan for you, for welfare and not for evil, for a future and a hope. Psalm 103, I don't have this in the notes, but just listen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Everybody say benefits. Listen, there are some benefits to understanding the gospel. There are some benefits. It's, it's, like, it's like sometimes we, we sign on the dotted line, we make a confession and a commitment that Christ is Lord of our lives, and, and nobody ever tells us about this amazing benefit package that comes along with this job as being an ambassador for Christ. There's a whole benefit package here that's not just a ticket to heaven, not just a home in glory, not just peace with God and peace of God in your heart, but David the psalmist says here, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Five things. Everybody say five. Five is the number of grace. The scripture says, who forgives all your iniquity. Everybody say forgives. forgives. Who heals all your diseases. Everybody say heals. Who redeems your life from the pit. Everybody say, redeems. Redeems. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Everybody say, crowns. Crowns. And the last one is, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Everybody say, satisfies. Let's get it one more time. So many times, all we ever hear about is just the forgiveness part. There are benefits to the gospel. Are you hearing me this morning? Come on, you folks know this. Act like you do. Say amen here a little bit. Help me this morning. It's not just forgiveness. That's where it starts. With the forgiveness, he heals all your diseases. God has sent his son. Literally, he bore out the sickness and the diseases upon us. By his stripes, we are healed. We believe that Jesus Christ didn't just do that for a short three and a half year period with some disciples watching, but he is alive and present and it is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he will heal and touch you wherever you are diseased, wherever there is not the ease of God, where dis has entered into it. Discouragement, God wants to encourage you. Where there's disease, God wants to bring ease and healing. Forgiving, healing, redeeming, crowning, satisfying. All of those things are salvation from something. And depending on whatever church you go to, you're going to hear some of that or maybe all of that. The thing that I want to say this morning as I move to this second part is the fact that it's not just about us. It's not just about the hope of man because if that's all we ever preach, then we become selfish clods. But it's not just the hope that God has given to me as a man, as an individual, even to me and my family and us, even to us in this church. But it's the hope that God has himself. Hope of man. The second part this morning is the hope of God. I have a hope on the inside of me. That hope has carried me for 20 plus years in planting this church. In 1989, my wife said, who will come? I said, honey, I don't have any idea, but God will send them. And we labored, and we plowed, and we planted. I want to tell you something. I believe with all of my heart that we are just now on the edge of what God is going to do through Victory Church in the Delta. We've grown so much that every... You know something? We used to meet in this room with all of the kids in here with the worship at the very beginning, and it wasn't full then. Now we have all the kids out, and we've been for the last few weeks wall to wall. Now, is this Sunday? It's not that way because we've got a lot of folks traveling. But let me just say to you, with the growth that's going on around here, we have been before the Lord asking God, what would you have us to do to take the next step? Because I don't believe we're ready to go out there, even though in 2009, praise God, in December we paid our last payment and our 30 acres was paid off. I just, I just don't have a release from the Lord yet. And I had somebody ask me, they said, well, you know, why don't you just step out in faith? And they were testing me a little bit. I said, you know, I'm, I will when the Lord speaks, when his word says it's time. And they looked at me and you say, they said, you know, I'm surprised and I'm proud to hear somebody's got the other thing called wisdom. Because we're waiting on the timing of the Lord in this thing. And I believe, I believe with all of my heart we're supposed to stay in this place for one more year. Well, how can we do that and not push people away? We had to build because we had Sundays where we literally had to turn children away from the nursery and some of our children's ministries because the rooms were so packed. That's when we met and said, we can't do that. That's, that's, not, that's not God. That's not good. and It's not God. So we did all that build out. I want to share something with you before I jump into this last section this morning that I believe God has put on my heart. We're coming up to a year 2011. There are two ones in it. Everybody say 2011. There's a one and a one. And this is what I want to challenge you to do. I want to ask you... I, I, I'm, I'm believing God for 100 people in Victory Church who will work in one service and who will worship in one service. 100 who will step forward and work to serve in one, in a children's ministry, as an usher, as a greeter, in the cafe any number of areas that we need help in. There are lots of places where we can plug you in. Maybe you hadn't found your place yet. Let me, is Abby Marotti in the house this morning? Is Abby stand up? Everybody stand, Abby stand up back there. Now wave at everybody, Abby. Okay. See her because we will plug you in and get you on a serve team. You'll get one of these cool serve the team t-shirts. Everybody's been asking, where can I get one of those? Well, let me tell you, all you, it will not even cost you. We just we want to give this to you if you will get on this team with us and serve. I'm asking God for 100 people who, like the two ones in 2011, who will work in one and who will worship in one in our 9 and 11 o'clock services. I know it will be a long day for you, but I believe that if you'll be one of 100 who will work in one and serve in one and commit to do this for one year, just for the year of 2011, as we continue to grow in these two services to be able to reach out to the Delta to see God continue to bring in a lot of people who wouldn't be in other churches. A lot of unchurched folks. We're excited about that that are coming and have been drawn. A lot of young families, a lot of young families with children. It is the blessing of God that is being poured out upon this church right now. And I'm asking you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning But I want you to begin to pray. We're going to mention this every Sunday through Advent. We're going to have a little card that will be on your seat. If you will commit to be one in a hundred who will work in one and serve in one for one year in the year 2011, then I want to get you on the team with me because God's going to use you to advance his kingdom through this church in this year. Can I have an amen? amen? Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. That's the vision right there. That's my hope. And I, I want to tell you that it's motivated by this second part, the hope of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The other things we talked about, the benefits of the gospel, are hope for you individually, the hope of man. But God has a hope in his heart to which he has called you to share along with him. These are the things that we must recognize Point number one, and I'm going to get these quickly. Everybody say it. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Say it one more time. Let's do it together. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Listen to the word of the Lord from Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Everybody say, that includes me. Everything on the planet, me and you, all of our stuff, our possessions, our desires, our dreams, every material thing that we own, our past, our present, our future... The ideas that God's put in your heart, everything belongs to the Lord. He's created you for his purpose and for his pleasure. God gets a kick out of the fact that you are alive. He's excited that you are alive in him and you love him. And this morning, even if you don't know him, he wants to know you and have a restored relationship with you. Secondly, and I'm moving quickly, number two, the kingdom of God is his purpose his church is his instrument. The kingdom of God, the lordship of Christ, he shall reign forever and ever. Matthew six thirty three: seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Another word for justice. Seek God's kingdom and his justice in your life. All of these other things, all of the benefits, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drive, Where are you going to sleep? All that other stuff, he says, will be added to you as a matter of due course if you'll just put first things first and seek his kingdom because his kingdom is his purpose. It's that every man may know that Jesus Christ is not going to be someday the Lord of lords and the King of kings, but that he is right now, currently, already King of kings and Lord of lords. His kingdom is right now. There's an aspect to it which is not yet come, which is yet to develop. But his kingdom is now. It is from everlasting to everlasting. It is eternal. Listen. Ephesians chapter 3. The Bible says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Ephesians 3.8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10. So that through the church, everybody say the church." church. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Everybody say, the church is his instrument. What did he just say? Through the church, God's going to demonstrate his multifaceted wisdom. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The eternal purpose of God is tied up in Jesus Christ and his family. His family is the church. Ephesians 3, the apostle Paul says, the whole family in heaven and earth has been named after him. You've got the name of Jesus on you. There's a new name we used to sing in gospel music a long time ago when I was a little kid. New name written down in glory. Yes, it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Book of Revelation chapter 20 says the books were open and Any person whose name was not found in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This morning I would ask you this question as I bring this message down to a close. Do you know that your name is in the book this morning? Has God by his indelible ink and by his choosing and by your choosing to walk with him, have you made a choice to say Jesus is Lord of my life? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Bible says... That if we will put our trust in him, not only will he bring restoration of relationship, but we will see on this planet at some time, literally what was lost in paradise lost will be paradise restored. Bible says this is the hope of God. This is the hope of man. Second Peter chapter three, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The Sad eschatology of so many of these pessimillennialists who just basically tell you to let the earth go to hell in a handbasket and don't try to make any change, don't try to make anything better because you're polishing the brass on a sinking ship. That kind of mess is from the pit of hell because God has hope alive in his heart not only for the individual person, the individual sinner, but he has hope for culture and for the institutions in which we move and operate and for the whole created order was made subject to futility, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. God has set eternity in our hearts, and there's something in each and every one of us that makes us to know every time we go to a funeral, even when it's the celebration of a saint that's graduating to the reward of glory, there's something in us that goes something, somebody. God, you've got to come and destroy the the grip of death on this planet. The last enemy that is to be put under feet, the Bible says, is death. And I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is the first fruits who has already conquered and won, but he's also going to have a body that will do the same thing. We will put on life. This gospel has brought light and immortality through the gospel, is what the scripture says in the book of 2 Timothy. Listen, and I'm finished. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Verse 2, listen, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Wait, I thought we were going to fly up to there. Oh wait, maybe I didn't read that right. Revelation 21, verse 2, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Are you guys hearing me this morning? The new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a new Gunger song. We're doing some of their music here at Victory. And he says, I don't know what you've been hold, told, but heaven is coming down to this world. I mean, isn't that doesn't that agree with what Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What? In earth as it is. That's the fulfillment of the hope of God. When righteousness dwells in a new heavens and a new earth. And if all you're doing is just looking to some, waiting to hear a trumpet to be caught out of here, maybe you need to wake up and realize you've got a job to do. We need to be occupying until he comes. Which could be another hundred years. It could be another millennium. It could be another thousand years. If Jesus tarries, when he does come, will he find you busy and faithful? And will he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Don't shout me down now. Come on, somebody say amen. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have all passed away. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Everybody say, making all things new. Have you ever thought about this? God who has the power to destroy it all and wipe it all out and start over and to make all new things didn't say he was going to do it that way. He said, I'm going to take the mess, the stinking rot and decay of sin and the circumstances of your life, of the things that aren't fixed, and I'm going to breathe my resurrection life into it and what is old and decayed and dead and dying, when I touch it, it's going to come alive. I could wipe it all out and just make a new thing, but he says, no, that's not what my heart is. My heart is to take the mess that is in your life and to breathe my life into it and to make all things new. Oh, come on. Some of you are hearing that this morning. There is hope for you as a person. There is hope in the heart of God that this whole thing will be filled with his glory. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the hope of God. That hope right there begins the moment in your heart you can say, God, I can't do anything. I'm dead. I've sensed the moving of your spirit this morning. I understand this costly grace of a Savior who loved me enough that he died for me. I understand that the choice I have to make is to turn from that and to turn from you. You have saved me from death and from hell and from myself and from bondage and from destruction and from a way of life that leads to death. And you've caused me to turn my heart toward you. You've not just saved me from something, but you've saved me to something, a higher purpose, a call, a plan, a destiny, something that has hope in your heart for me, not just me, but to be a part of something much bigger than I am, this thing called the purpose of God, the kingdom of God.